Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So we have a short letter from Vigano today. It was given to the remnant, and it was done so in response to a question asked by Michael J. Matt about the, shall we say, I don't know, motives of Bishop Barron or his sudden and rather strange and concerted focus on traditionalists and the traditionalist movement in mostly, I guess, in his perception anyway, the United States, though that anybody who's actually paying attention knows that the movement to restore Catholic tradition is certainly not located only to the United States. But Bishop Barron is at the forefront of this, and after the letter, I will give you some examples of his more strange recent activity. It might be of some concern to those of us who, you know, are in the public eye doing this, or at the very least, it should be of concern to those of us who would like to see the traditional faith taught, the traditional liturgy and the traditional sacraments widely available, especially if you are one of those people who can't easily access the traditional liturgy or have access to the traditional sacraments. But anyway, I'm going to give you now the short letter of Vigano to the remnant, and there will be a link posted to the actual article itself in the pinned comment, which is unusual. Yes, you can find it on the Sources blog as well. That is, the pinned comment only really works, of course, if you're doing this on YouTube. If you're on audio, uh, you'll need to go to remnantnewspaper.com and find it. It's If you're listening to this in the first couple days this is up, you'll find it over in their, uh, their main story that is up to date right now. Anyway, without further ado. Dear Michael, I saw Catechism on the Council published by Word on Fire, and in response to your request, I am sending you a brief reflection. I won't go into the details of the FAQs, which seem to me more suited to an instruction manual on how to use a tool or manage a call center. I will focus instead on the introductory passage from Benedict XVI, quote, to defend the true tradition of the church today means to defend the council. We must remain faithful to the today of the church, not the yesterday or tomorrow. At this today of the church is the documents of Vatican II, without reservations that amputate them and without arbitrariness that distorts them. End quote. The Holy Father states apodictically that to defend the true tradition of the church today means to defend the council and that we must remain faithful to the today of the Church. These two propositions, which complement one another, find no support in the tradition, and since the Church is present, is always indissolubly linked to her past. Their Church is comprised of three dimensions, one triumphant in heaven, one militant on earth, and one suffering in purgatory. These three dimensions of the same church are closely linked, and it is clear that the triumphant and the purgative dimensions exist in a meta-historical or meta-temporal metaphysical reality, whereas the, only the militant church has a today, a contingency given by the passage of time, that nothing can change her essence, her mission, and above all, her doctrine. 
Therefore, there is no church only of today, in which yesterday is now irredeemably past, and tomorrow has not yet happened. What Christ taught yesterday, we repeat today, and his vicars will profess tomorrow. What the martyrs witness to yesterday, we guard today, and our children will confess tomorrow. Then there is another proposition that, quote, we must remain faithful to the church, to, to the today of the church, not the yesterday or tomorrow, end quote which significantly was adopted by the proponents of Vatican II precisely in order to erase the past, affirm the conciliar revolution in the today of that time, and prepare the crisis of that tomorrow in which we now find ourselves. And the innovators who wanted that council carried, out, carried it out precisely with, quote, the reservations that amputated, unquote, the uninterrupted magisterium of the church, and, quote, the arbitrariness that distorted it, end quote paraphrasing Ratzinger's words. I do not see why, why what the innovators accomplished with Vatican II yesterday, to the detriment of tradition, cannot ap apply to them today. Those who, in the name of being pastoral, did not hesitate to demolish the doctrinal, moral, liturgical, spiritual, and disciplinary edifice of that old religion, as they call it, in the name of the council today would dare to claim for their daring innovations that obsequious submission and that defense that they did not want to apply to 2,000 years of infallible magisterium. And we are to show unconditional support not for tradition, but for the only event that has contradicted and adulterated that tradition. It seems to me that this line of reasoning, if only from a purely logical point of view, doesn't have much credibility and limits itself to reaffirming that real self-referentiality of the conciliar church in rupture with the uninterrupted teaching of the supreme pontiffs who preceded it. Moreover, it seems to me that Benedict XVI's quotation is also in contradiction with that hermeneutic of continuity according to which the council should be accepted not as a rupture with the church's past, but precisely in continuity with it. But if there is no church of yesterday, to what does the continuity of the supposed conciliar hermeneutic refer? Another philosophical pun that unfortunately has shown signs of failure since the time it was formulated, and that today is denied from the highest throne. We can observe with amazement the commitment of the zealots of Vatican II in defending their council, to the point of composing no less than a sort of catechism of the council. If they had taken the trouble to reaffirm with equal commitment the immutable doctrine of the church when it was denied or silenced, precisely in the name of conciliar renewal, today there would be less widespread ignorance of the faith and less confusion. But unfortunately, defending Vatican II is more important than defending the perennial depositum fide. Signed, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. 14th of August, 2020, on the Vigil of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So what is all of this about? It's rather straightforward, really. Bishop Robert Barron has been on the offensive recently, taking point in the USCCB's response to the growing traditionalist movement in the United States and beyond. He may be doing this on his own initiative or on the instruction of the otherwise useless U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, or from the Vatican's instruction, or whatever, but in the end, it doesn't matter that much. Barron is taking point on the response, and frankly, he's a good and effective choice for that. He is, after all, extremely popular, has a large platform, and is a charismatic and experienced media personality, and he's frankly the face of mainstream Catholicism in the United States. 
And as Michael Matt says in his opening question to Vigano, Baron is far from the worst figure among the bishops, and can be honestly lauded for doing some good work. The problem is, of course, that he has made a lot of statements that appear to contradict the faith, which others have gone over so much that I don't really feel it necessary to bring up here more than what I've done. But let's take a brief look at what in particular Vigano is referring to. So here we are on the website for Word on Fire Ministries, Bishop Barron's apostolate website. On your screen is the quote from Benedict XVI that Vigano read earlier. It's one of the classic statements of the hermeneutic of continuity, meant both to chastise traditionalists who would seek to undo the council and to correct the worst of the modernists who promote open rebellion against the faith, using the council as, as its excuse. I'm not a hermeneutic of continuity person for the record, but I try to be fair about how I talk about the intentions behind it, and it's clear that Benedict is trying to make the traditions of the church and the long history of the church square with that of the council. Barron, as you can see here in his long statement, is doing the same thing. I won't read the full text, but it's on your screen. But here, if you, at least if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're on the audio side, um, well, here's the essential quote. Speaking of the declared mission of the council to clarify the church's teachings of the world, quote, This great vision remains largely unrealized. In the decades following the council, the teachings of Vatican II were distorted or simply ignored. Its robust documents, produced by the cream of the Catholic intellectual crop, gave way to a debilitating anti-intellectualism. Its definition of the Eucharist as the source and summit of the Christian life was met with a dramatic decrease in mass attendance and belief in the real presence. Its goal of awakening the biblical consciousness was restrained by a widespread ignorance of scripture and its call to read the signs of the times was taken up as the motto of a beige Catholicism. Of course, none of these effects were due to the conciliar texts themselves, which promoted just the opposite. End quote. You know, I don't think anyone in our side of the argument denies that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian faith, given how the Eucharist is inseparable from Calvary and the resurrection. The larger issue is that there is a lot of unacknowledged in the statement, including the secularization of the Catholic faith by many of the priests and, frankly, virtually all of the conciliar popes embracing the values of the world and the solutions offered by the technocratic elite to the problems of the world as well as the wholesale rejection of Catholic morality by not only the laity, but also by many of the priests and bishops of the church. And it was all done in the name of Vatican II, or in the name of the spirit of Vatican II. One need look no further than the USCCB's employee statement recently on Twitter about the party of Moloch's nominations this past week for a prime example of this, and how this person has gotten away with it. Barron's response has been inadequate because it frankly ignores the reality that these changes in practice were enabled by the same men who wrote the documents of Vatican II itself and are the ones responsible for its ambiguity by their own admission. They themselves admitted that the documents were written one way with specific implementation in mind that has caused catastrophic consequences. A lot of the people who pushed the really terrible ideas in the church in the aftermath of the council were the same people who helped write and approve these documents, and that shouldn't be denied. And it can't be reconciled with their hermeneutic continuity because it means that the intent of the framers of the council was revolutionary in nature, which they themselves admit. It was, after all, then Father Ratzinger, the future Benedict XVI, who himself called it the 1789 in the church. And frankly, I tend to distrust anyone who refers to the French Revolution in glowing terms like that. Language like that does not imply a uh, hermeneutic continuity was ever envisioned at the time of the implementation of these documents. Though I won't deny that that uh, 
Ratzinger's attitude towards these things probably changed toward later in life, given his scramble to restore order. In closing, it would be great if that reality was acknowledged by Bishop Barron and the others who are publicly defending Vatican II, you know, the consequences being what we've seen and with their connection to the council itself. I have a letter tomorrow from a priest responding to Vigano that illustrates this point because in that letter, as in many of Bishop Barron's points, there's an underlying personal nature to the response to Vigano and other traditionalists on this issue, and it undermines their argument. Not that I think they're paying attention to what I have to say on this at all, but my point stands. They have taken these remarks by Vigano and the work of the alternative Catholic voices like the Remnant and others who have worked for the restoration of the traditional Catholic faith and the rejection of modernism personally. They've taken it personally. And if they take what amounts to our bringing the battle to the modernists personally, well, I kind of wonder why that would be. Anyway, that's enough for me. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.